0: Hello everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Your Data HQ. We have Nicholas Ankerstad here with us today. Nick currently works as a Senior Director of Data Science at M1, where he oversees data science, data strategy, analytics, and credit risk teams. Prior to his current role, Nicholas Held several senior analytics positions at financial services companies, building and scaling teams across the entire data lifecycle from data ingestion, transformation, and governance uh, to visualization analytics, machine learning, and AI. So that's quite, uh, you know, a bag full of everything, data and analytics. Uh, Nicholas, thank you for being here with us today.
1: Oh, no, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. It's great being on, on the show.
0: Awesome. So let's get started. So how did you get into data science?
1: Yeah, Um. you know, uh, I'll start kind of like early in like as I was growing up, I I am originally from Sweden. And so in Sweden, you pick a high school major. And mm. my high school major was actually math and computer science. Okay. And like really enjoyed my coding classes. Thought those were the most fun part, like building calculators was lots of fun. Uh, and then and I, when I went to college, I kind of started going down the computer science route and ended, ended up like, not go, pursuing that. Mm-hmm. And so I took a little bit of a detour and got my uh, bachelor's in international business and then my MBA in finance. So I always kind of enjoyed the analytical side of the finance work I did in, in grad school. Um, got a couple of jobs, mostly in analytics. And then um, in those kind of like analytics types of roles, it's uh, a lot of like, you know, doing simple math, adding, subtracting, putting together a chart of some kind. So I thought that was always a fun part that I enjoyed about my work and then uh, ended up getting an opportunity to uh, lead some teams and realized that I need to probably study a little bit more. So I did some coursework on like Coursera and stuff like that to get myself um, a little bit more familiarized and back into more like the coding that I did in high school and stuff like that. Got it,
0: okay. So it was sort of like... a you did have the technical background, uh, but I think you, uh, you know, deviated from that a little bit and what brought you back was like the analytical part of things. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, always enjoy the analytic side of things and then just like specifically like the data science pieces and stuff like that became a little bit more like I always skewed a little bit more towards enjoying the technical components of things. So like even when I was more in like in, I'll say more like um, financial analytics. Um, Always more fun building a very complex Excel-based model out of the gate than just like doing the, just simply doing the math. So I enjoy the kind of like the building aspects of things. So it was like a natural progression to move into more like, oh, I know how to do this in Excel. Maybe I can build it in a data visualization tool. And then I can build it in a data visualization tool. Maybe I can write this in code. Mm. What about if I got it directly from the database and wrote, wrote it in SQL? And you kind of like just progress throughout.
0: Got it, cool. So you lead the data science and analytics team at M1, right? So how did you go about building the team?
1: Yeah, um, so I've been at M1 for about two years now, a little bit over two years now. Um, and so when I first started, the team basically had two analysts. um, So a kind of rough headcount at the time was 100 people, grown significantly since then. Um, and those analysts were spending most of their time, generally like, a general sense of feeling a little bit overwhelmed. We had lots of requests, lots of things to do. Uh, the tools we used were were mostly like writing SQL. We had a like uh, simple data visualization tool, but most of it was like exporting it to Excel, doing some uh, ad hoc analysis on it. And so, really, I was brought in to kind of like elevate that team, uh, bring it up, uh, and uh, like mature it a little bit. Um, so, what I learned early on at M one was that M one has a great engineering practice. It kind of comes with the with the um, uh, with the territory of being a FinTech startup is usually you have good good engineering practices. So we leaned into some of the engineering practices early on. We brought in some new tools and we expanded the team. So kind of starting from two analysts and then growing it to, I think uh, at, some, at one point, including interns, we had like 20 people. So like re- relatively rapidly expanding that and then kind of honing in on and leaning in on like what engineering is already doing that they're doing really well and bringing some of that to the analytics side.
0: Got it. So, yeah, I did work in a fintech as well. And there's like, you know, these different cohorts or teams that work with engineering that deals with, you know, different, uh, I think, product components and thereby are behind different metrics. Uh, Yeah, that's fun. That's a fun setup to work in. And, um, you know, you just mentioned about a scale, like 100, and then it just, you were two analysts, and then Uh, you grew into like a team of 20 or more interns as well so what are some tools and techniques you know you used to stay organized with this scale and you know there must have been so much onboarding stuff and uh, so much context uh, to give and take back so how did that go about
1: yeah I mean yeah when you hire like when you hire multiples of your of your team sizing in in the same year it becomes kind of an interesting dilemma like how do i have the new person train the other new person and mm-hmm. how do i figure out some of those things like obviously we brought in tools that are pretty standard to the industry we double down on sql obviously being a big part of that so people come in you can hire for those types of skills you can hire usually for like uh, say sql python and like like we, we have tableau as data visualization so you can hire for some of those types of things uh, what you, we you can't hire for is the, or what's a little harder to hire for is like the domain expertise, like someone who knows investment, someone who knows banking, someone who knows all these things. Like that's what we had to teach you. Uh, so a lot of what we ended up doing for like new onboarding for new employees was we assumed, you know, we we hired for, we checked your technical skills as a part of the interviewing process. Once we knew that you like passed us, not for that, we had the ability to learn it. Then we brought you in. And then the first part of of um, of your onboarding is basically just like reading through documentation around like which tables do you go for what piece of information and just kind of getting you up to speed on that. So we spent, um, um, like I like to always have a new person, like onboarding, like wiki or page so they can go and look at and get like familiarized with like what, what it is to be new, where to go get your stuff set up at, who to ask questions to, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then that's a living, breathing document that I wrote the first time handed off to someone and said, you're using this. And then that person needs to refine it for the errors that they found. they like, oh, this wasn't clear enough. Once you figure out that update it. So every single time when we had this documentation, like onboarding documentation, we would have someone come back and uh, a new person would add to it. So it is, it starts as one product that, that like the early people add or create, and then each new person iterates on it. And that's like a living, breathing piece of documentation that like helps everybody with this, like shared shared uh, knowledge base if you will so that was a big thing and then obviously like having structure and like organizations of like here's where you go to see where you're supposed to be working on i have stand-ups and those types of things also helps kind of like drive a little bit of this like we know what is expected of us and no one's going "Mm, no one told me what to do i'm just going to sit around we have enough work to go around that we don't want people sitting around so making sure that they know what they need to do and that they don't have any blockers is a, is a key part of how we're trying to scale or how we've always trying to scale.
0: Got it. Uh, so what's next? Like, are you still scaling or are you sort of, you know, organizing uh, product areas? Uh, what's happening?
1: Yeah, so we're a little bit more like in, we, we've we been very focused on like building net new things and like build, 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 grow, 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 build, grow, grow, uh, maybe not always in that order, but somewhere along those lines. Now we're, we're getting a little bit more where we're a little bit more mature. So it's more focused on us for now is more like operate and execute, I would say. Um, so we're looking at things like how do we become more efficient? Um, how do we, how do we, now that we have like data science capabilities, now that we have, uh, you know, good visualization tool, pretty decent practices, how do we make ourselves more efficient so that we can do more with less? Uh, I think that's gonna kind of be the theme in most companies now is, I can't double my team probably uh, next year. I can't triple it over, you know, or triple it or something like that. So how can I triple the output while while keeping kind of like the base the same? And
0: mm-hmm. so that's
1: something we're focused on is how are we, how do we become more efficient as we're operating?
0: Got it. So uh, in your experience, in your entire, like, you know, the data and analytic experience, what, is, what are some of the data stack components uh, that you think, you know, provide for this scale and like, you know, giving that output without necessarily
1: uh, increasing people. Yeah, it's like what company, Suzanne? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have a role model company to look up to because it's like, there are lots of companies that produce amazing amount of like research work. Like you think about the fan companies or manga companies, I guess they are now. Um, that produce amazing amounts of research. I don't know if they're efficient per se. I think they produce amazing work product. I don't know what the, how, like, I don't have a head, I don't have a sense of their head count for that output. So I think there's like a research thing where there are lots of companies that are doing a great job on that side. Uh, I think the, um, really, if you're looking at companies that are, that are probably efficient in that regard, I'd probably, I look at companies that are performing relatively well um, in terms of like their competitors, because uh, then it's probably more like a secret sauce that they're doing something behind the scenes. But I wouldn't say that I have a specific company that like I follow I'm like this is the company we're trying to model ourselves after. And we, we try to take the best practices, I'll say more generally, like, um. um I forget what the company's called now, uh, but if you use like DBT, there are companies that are specific um, like playbooks that you can leverage that has like, here's how you structure these projects. We try to borrow that as much as possible so that we cannot have to create our net new and then have to go and be, create my own research department basically.
0: Got it. So you focus on, I think the tools first. Um, yeah. And then figure out a workflow based on that tool. So do you have some favorite tools?
1: uh yeah i think it's like the tool needs to fit into your overall company culture to some extent i think that's a key key piece of all this so before picking the tool make sure it fits that uh yeah i mean it it just kind of depends on 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 which company and which company you work for and what the culture is like uh like mm for example we value open source things we like open source tools uh and we have a i would say a relatively high level technical capabilities um and so I don't need to have the most, like, easiest to use and, like, like can't write a lick of code type of a tool because the, the people that we've hired, the people that we hire across the organization, not just on my team, tend to be pretty savvy and can figure things out. They just need good documentation in general. So we skew a little bit more towards that at M1. So, yeah. Um, Tool stack that we use, for example, include things like Tableau I mentioned. Um, Again, it's like a pretty safe choice in terms of data visualization. Huge fan of DBT. Uh, I think DBT has elevated our team and made us a lot more efficient. So that's what we use for our transformation there. Warehousing, um, I don't have a preference. We use Redshift. I've used uh, um, SQL Server before. Um, Not noticeable in the work that I do, difference. Um, otherwise, uh we are uh, also customers of dataiku which is the data science platform that allows us to do some like um like that allows us to ship models relative or really fast um so that's another tool I like um we used other tools too before like rapid miner which was more click based we had a little bit more click based organization where I was at before um so I'd say like it just kind of depends in general like. The stack that I think we need that you need to have is something that can ingest data. It's relatively easy to manage. You need somewhere to store data. Uh, you need something to transform. I think that probably the only one that has like a major competitive advantage there is, is DBT. Cause I don't think there are too many tools that can do exactly that. Um, and then you need a visualization layer and you can't go wrong with Looker, Tableau or something along those lines. Um, and like I said, I'm a big fan of Dataiku mostly because it blends that um, um, code interface where you can like actually like write Python code. but then you can also like use auto ML capabilities where some other players in that space are more like one or the other. And you have to like make a distinctive choice in your strategy, which for a startup is not something op- optionality and the ability to pivot is mm-hmm. always a something we value in the, in the startup world.
0: Correct. So you did mention something about, you know, you go for more, uh, customizable or very hands-on tools rather than just drag and drop kinds and today in the market i think there are a lot of drag and drop kinds coming on um only with i think the caveat that they're not very customizable to your problem space so that's something to keep in mind while somebody's looking for tools uh, it's not just about the ease of starting but really the ease of molding it and maintaining it and uh, you know evolving it to your company's progress as well Um, So that's a great insight. And uh, finally, what advice would you give someone who's uh, new in data science?
1: Yeah. um, So I think if you're just like starting out in data science, um, like lots of people go down the route of trying to get more education, trying to like learn more. And that's great. Like you need more knowledge to get better at anything in life. Like you need to practice things. But I think the key thing is here is like just reading a couple of books, doing some like online courses is generally not enough. um i don't necessarily personally don't hire data scientists based off of uh, like having done a boot camp or something like that the space is just too competitive uh, for for um us to hire for that what i look for instead is people who have taken some of those things and then applied it in a setting that they're familiar with so like if you're working at i don't know um if you're working in the marketing department and you're wanting to break into data science you take in uh a boot camp, whatever it is, maybe you got your master's in data science or something like that. Like, that's not gonna set you apart. That's like baseline at this point for what we see in applicants. And I don't know that like I'd hire someone that just has those two credentials. Like worked at a market worked, mark, worked in marketing, has a master's in data science. Um, I, I don't know that I'd hire someone for that. What I'd instead look for is like, okay, so you worked in marketing, you learned something in school what did you change in your marketing thing that made like did you build a propensity model you build some sort of a thing that helped you be a better marketer because now I know you're actually solutions oriented and that's something I can't teach you I can teach you how to code a little bit better I can teach you how to like you know build better visualizations I can probably teach you how to build a better model and whatnot or if I can't do it I have someone on my team that can do it um but I what I can't have you what I can't teach you is to like actually solve problems, that needs to be something you do. And I think that's the biggest biggest thing I see is I got lots of resumes and they have lots of technical uh, qualifications and all and stuff like that, but they look about the same, the resumes. Um, instead, what I what I look for is, oh, we have a problem we're looking to solve. It's a churn problem, it's an acquisition problem, it's some sort of a problem. Did you solve that problem? Did you use data science to do it? Cool. I don't care what your job title is, you can solve these types of problems. I need help solving that type of a problem, and you're the person for it. That's kind of what I look for when like when we're hiring. So I'd say start solving problems with data science in your um in your day-to-day work is my recommendation to people.
0: Correct. So it's more on the application and solutioning abilities rather than, you know being attached to a particular degree or a bootcamp. And this is actually a question I've gotten a lot of times as well. Like, should I choose between a Master of Science in Computer Science or should I choose, uh, you know, a Master of Science in Data Science? And my answer is, uh, irrespective of what you choose, it's about like, you know, the project that you do. Like, even if I take Master of Science in Computer Science and I do a thesis or dissertation work applying Data Science extensively, then that's what's going to show my skill as opposed to just you know having the theoretical knowledge, which is also important, but not going to take you you know too far in the market.
1: So- yeah, I think that theoretical knowledge is an, is an important piece because it helps you with the something went wrong, it helps you troubleshoot in a lot of cases. So the people who are really good at the theory, like uh, people who have a strong understanding of statistics can Triage things better, and they uh, they uh, get to a resolution faster, oftentimes. But it's also something that, like, you can solve for with just grit and experimentation to some extent. Of like, I'm going to try this, and it's something I'm comfortable in the domain of. Like, I'm a marketer; I send out campaigns. I'm just going to try and see is my model performing, and I'm going to try it in the real world, and then you learn by failure a little bit. So it's something that, like, if you have the theoretical background you will avoid some of the failures that other mm-hmm. people would feel. But if you don't have it and you have like some, you can get to that by like failing a couple of times, like, oh, but yeah. as long as it's within something where you have, you know, uh, the ability to fail.
0: Correct. So uh, thank you, Nicholas, for this very insightful podcast. And I think you almost all, also gave a formula for building a successful data team in fintech uh, or any uh, you know, uh, startup operating in a market space that's like uh, fastly growing, very competitive. Uh, and I think it's a very good formula as well on how to like exactly focus on like first scaling the team and then scaling the limits of the technology. Uh, so thank you so much for that. And thanks.
1: To yeah, the- th- yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Bye.